Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Harley-Davidson. A new documentary series on public television. The Vietnam War offers a 10-part, 18-hour examination of one of the United States' most controversial conflicts. Filmmakers Ken Burns and Lynn Novick have been using events surrounding the documentary's premiere to engage veterans and other Americans in a conversation they hope can be healing. On September 14th in New York City, they gathered a group of veterans at WCBS News Radio 88 to discuss how the veterans' experience has been similar and different for men and women leaving the military after service in Vietnam and in Iraq and Afghanistan, and for their families. The conversation is moderated by WCBS News anchor Steve Scott. Joining the filmmakers for this conversation across generations, Marsha Four of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Zach Iskell, a Marine decorated in the Iraq War and co-founder of the Headstrong Project, Dr. Roger Harris, a Marine who fought in Vietnam and then went on to a distinguished career in education. Let's join now the filmmakers Ken Burns and Lynn Novick and the panelists for the discussion as it was recorded September 14th in New York City. We ended part one after hearing a powerful clip, which filmmakers Ken Burns and Lynn Novick described as episode 11. And while it doesn't appear in the 10-part series on public television, it was one of the more emotional segments of the event. We'll pick up where we left off with a segment of that clip and moderator WCBS's Steve Scott. And if you have moments like that, or you have buddies who are having moments like that, but just get another day out of it. And then next day, it's like being in the grunts. You put one foot in front of the other. And surviving the war after we come home is putting one day after another until we've got it figured out. I'm so glad that I didn't kill myself when I was 20 years old when I got home from the hospital. I'm so grateful that I put it off all those nights for all those years. You know, sometimes when we struggle with a question, we just have to live ourselves into the answer. I know I could count on any one of you at this table if I needed you. I know I could count on you. I know it. And that's a great feeling. I feel like you were talking uh, directly to me because I felt I felt everything you were talking about as far as uh, feeling like being alone 
been been to a point where I just almost wanted to quit. My dog saved my life. <laughs> yeah. My dog saved me twice. Just Man. by coming into the room. And licking licking my face while I'm just pouring down in tears. Yeah. Um, so everything you said it uh it hit home and it helped me out. Thank you. Hey, never surrender, right? Never surrender. Yeah, I got a little misty last night when you shut the red out. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. took a couple of peeks out into the audience while we're watching that and I saw some some heads bobbing some heads nodding and, and we'd like to hear your feedback Tim will have a, a mic out there we'd like to hear from you uh, Marsha Four, who's vice president of the Vietnam Veterans Association a nurse in Vietnam did you recognize the stress that that the soldiers were under at that time as a medical professional, could you see what was going to happen when they went home? Well, I think we have to look back and consider how old we were at that point in time. I was only 22 years old. Um, nursing in that environment was an overpowering, overchallenged situation for us. We were all under stress. Could we identify that physical part of it as the veteran, as, as the, um, you know, the wounded came in? For the most part, for myself, no. And in part, it's because most of them were not aware and conscious. We didn't have a lot of communication with them. And I was in a must hospital, and so they were in and out as quickly as we could get them. However... There were some in the dead of night when the activity on the unit, and I worked the intensive care recovery room, and the, the activity on the unit was at a lull. And although for most of, the, most of the guys, we never knew who they were or where they came from. And quite frankly, we didn't want to remember that. But others were there for more than 24 hours, and we would sit with them at night. And they would talk then when the lights were low and talk about having to go home and who was going to love them when they came home, who would be able to accept them with no legs and no arms, who could take care of them, they're blind. And to sit and have those conversations and to be able to give them some reason that their life was given back to them and that they had something else to move on to. Those were difficult times. I think, as you mentioned, Ken, too, going through time in different wars, the issue of this mental health crisis 
through time, the terms become more clinical as you move forward to the point now where, in my mind, that's good because now we're seeing it for what it is. It is an issue that has to be addressed. Research can be done. Tools can be developed. It's out in the open. It's no more in the closet. We're not ashamed anymore. And that's a good thing. I know when, when I came home, I was, I felt like I was coming back for, to a different planet. I didn't fit in. None of my friends could understand. And the only support that I had, I mean, other than my family, I knew they loved me, but they couldn't understand. The only people that could understand were other people who had been to Vietnam. And they were the support that most of us tried to seek out. For me, it took quite a while because as a woman veteran, nobody knew I'd been in the war unless I told them I didn't have a GI haircut. And I learned very quickly that most people didn't even really want to hear what I had to say. They couldn't know it. They couldn't feel it. And so they moved on. But eventually, I did find a place where Vietnam veterans were supporting each other. And it was in the organization I belonged to, VVA. And most Vietnam veterans didn't have a real healthy rep when they came back. (laughs) We had uh, bad reputations, some of us. And nobody really wanted to give us too much attention. And so coming together... We able to have a voice, and we recognize the importance of that. And the founding principle, actually, which really tied us together, was that never again would one generation of veterans abandon another. And that's what has moved us forward from that day to this. You know, I remember my when I was a little boy, my grandmother uh, would talk about seeing World War One veterans come home, and she'd say there'd always be the guy who was sitting on the porch, who never left the porch, who never spoke, who just had that thousand-yard stare. And when we made our film on World War II, guys would come home, have some trouble. You might see a, a local family doctor, and he says, just act normal and you'll be normal. And of course, that was impossible even then. Of course, it's the same, dating back to Greek tragedies. But um, fortunately, particularly people like you make it, it moved forward and we can actually see the kind of progress and the kind of hard work that's being done. I think it was a great point when you talk about as, as the names become more clinical, that it's, it's come out of the shadows and um, I don't want to use the word more acceptable to talk about it, but I can't think of a better word at the moment. It's, it's, it's out of the shadows and, and we can talk about it now. And it's important to know that there are organizations and people who can help. There's the VVA, and then there's Headstrong. Zach Iskell, you came back from Iraq and founded an organization to help people who came back from war and struggled. Tell us about Headstrong. Yeah, um, so there's a lot to unpack here, uh, and I might have to ask you to repeat that question, because I've I've got something else I want to say first, which is, uh, you know, I don't know, I hope this doesn't come across as cheesy to all the Vietnam veterans in the room, but I want to thank you guys, not just for answering the call, not just for serving your country, but more importantly for what you guys did afterwards. Um, you guys have paved the road 
um, for all of us who have come after. And I think there's, uh, when Oliver Stone received his Academy Award for Platoon, he said, if we don't learn the lessons of Vietnam, the 50,000 people we lost would have died for nothing. And we have learned the lessons of your, your war. We've, we've learned lessons from your coming home. Um, I was in 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines. Guys in 2-9 wish they were in 3-1. Um, but uh, my battalion commander, before we deployed on, on our second deployment to Iraq, we were headed to Al-Anbar province in 2004. We knew we would end up fighting in, in Fallujah. Um, he'd always have these old guys from Vietnam and Korea around, and it would drive us. I mean, at first it was great. Those old guys. I'm, 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 I'm almost there now. <laughs> But he would have the he he'd have them come to mess dinners. He'd have them at training evolutions. He'd have them talk to us in the field. And at first it was great. And I was like, "Sir, what are you doing? You're, you're driving us nuts. This is interrupting training." But my battalion commander was a remarkable guy. He still is. His name's Colonel Willie Buell, and I was lucky to serve under his command. And he was one of those types of leaders who, um, when he turned over command, he never turned over responsibility for taking care of the men in his command. And he knew something that us younger officers didn't understand, which is that when we needed it, you guys would be there for us. And um, I'm sorry, when, we, uh, when we'd have guys get wounded, um, you guys were the ones that would meet them at the hospital. Um, when we came off the plane, you guys were there to greet us. Um, and it was such a remarkable gift uh, to our battalion. Um, so for that, I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Um, in terms of headstrong, um, there's a lot to impact in some of the stuff that we're talking about. And I think, you know, one of the, the benefits that we have today, and a lot of this is something else that we have to thank Vietnam veterans for, is a lot of the treatments that we have today to treat post-traumatic stress were developed in treating Vietnam veterans. And those are not just treatments that we use to treat veterans today. Those are treatments that we use to treat people who are suffering from trauma. And um, those would not have been developed if it was not for people coming home from that war needing that help. And so when Carl Marlantes, who I am a huge fan of, says that this is something he has to live with for the rest of his life, I say this with all due respect, he's wrong. Um, trauma is treatable. And if you get the right help, um, you can recover from this. So we started, my battalion lost uh, 33 Marines in the Battle of Fallujah. About half our battalion was wounded. Um, we've now lost about 23 Marines to suicide. Um, and that became the impetus for starting Headstrong. But I think it's also important to note that there's a suicide epidemic in this country that's beyond veterans. It's the second leading cause of deaths of teenagers um, it's the eighth leading cause of death in the U.S. This is a national problem that is beyond just vets. And my hope is, is that if people see us getting help, if people seeing us getting better, maybe other folks will follow our lead as, as citizens and as leaders. Um, so we founded Headstrong with a very simple mission uh, that we would provide world-class treatment. It had to be completely cost-free, no wait times, no paperwork, and most importantly, it had to be effective. And so we started the program here in New York City with a partnership with Cornell Medical Center on the Upper East Side. Um, we've now expanded to treatment to eight different cities. And in those cities, what we do is we build networks of world-class private practice clinicians um, who provide hours to veterans. All the care is managed by our team at Cornell. We pay the full bills um, and raise the money to pay the bills. Um, but what we have found is when people get the right help, 
they recover very, very quickly if they can't sleep through the night. Could, could yeah. you just uh, tell us what those cities are and if there is a hotline that you could give, that would be super important. I know there are a lot of vets yep. listening and probably a lot of vets in pain, a lot of vets or no people that are in pain and that mm-hmm. we, I, I think it'd be really important to get that out. Yeah. I'm sure it's on the website and all of these things are there, but maybe just sure. if you could directly tell us what those cities are so, besides New York. Uh, the easiest way to sign up, it's, it's really simple. You go to getheadstrong.org, uh, getheadstrong.org. You, there's a form on the website. You fill it out. Somebody will be in touch with you uh, within a few hours. If not, Within 48 hours, usually it's a few hours. Um, we're now in New York, uh, Chicago, Houston, Texas, San Diego, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Denver, and Colorado Springs. We are. We would love to go to Boston. There's a great program through the home uh, that the Red Sox, as a Yankees fan, it hurts me to say that, <laughs> run. So there's less of a need for us in Boston. My wife is from Boston. Um, she's a big fan of Tom Brady. Breaks my heart. Um, but we, we're, we, we're with your wife, by the way. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. A lot of people are. Um, but you go to getheadstrong.org, and uh, there's a s- small form. Um, somebody will reach out to you within a few days. You'll see a psychiatrist and then we put you into a, a treatment program. All right. We're going to make sure, uh, that we have you when we get to the end of the program and everybody says their closing words, we, I want you to, to give that web address sure. a few more times because obviously we have people coming and going throughout the, uh, the course of the program here. There were, it seems lessons learned from Vietnam to the Gulf War, as far as welcoming home uh, the troops. I remember as a journalist, I was working in Chicago at the end of the Gulf War, and there was a, a huge parade on Michigan Avenue welcoming home the troops. And the big mantra was, we're not going to make the same mistakes that we made at the end of the Vietnam War. It's true. I, I would say if there was one durable, and I'm fairly confident, lasting, um, lesson learned is that we are not going to blame the veterans anymore. I, I think in some ways that we've exaggerated a little bit the extent to which every veteran was spit upon or or um, called baby killers. But it certainly did happen, and it was certainly unfortunate, and I think it, it reflected the divisions in those times that are very similar to our times, but our time has been free of that. We have understood how to separate the mistakes of policymakers from from the from the actions of soldiers and um it, it's a it's a powerful thing i mean there's lots of lessons to be learned from vietnam and some are learned um, you know for a little bit and then forgotten again and and some were never adopted but i think you know one of the best and more important things is that we came away from there feeling that we were never going to blame our warriors again it's really powerful to hear um what zach is saying because we've heard from so many vietnam veterans that one of the major disturbing things that happened was the lack of respect that many of you felt from the World War II generation. We have footage of World War II veterans sometimes saying things to Vietnam veterans, you didn't win your war, we won our war. And again, blaming the soldiers, but also this kind of, you know, conflict with the older generation, which is wonderful to hear is not so much the case. We would like to hear, oh, Marcia, go ahead, please. Just just a comment. Um, You know, when you look at the fellows in the field and, and anyone who was in Vietnam, you were lucky to survive. You were lucky to come home without an injury. You were lucky not to come home with a body bag. Your your daily 
mission was to stay alive, to survive. And when you got home and to be treated like we were, we were very angry. And that underscored a lot of um, the feelings that can continue to the day. We would like to hear from the uh, the veterans who are uh, here in our live audience here in New York City. Uh, Tim has a microphone here. If you'd like to say something, uh, it can be raw, it can be painful, it can be tearful. Um, we welcome you, sir. Yeah, please introduce yourself. Eric Spinner. Eric Spinner. Uh, I'm a resident of Long Island, Nassau County. And listening to all of this, having joined the American Legion about eight years ago, the Legion Riders about seven years ago, and about the same time the Vietnam War Veterans Association of Nassau County, which used to be part of VVA, uh, we go out as Vietnam veterans to many high schools, middle schools. We go out as a veterans group. We get our guys to come out and talk about Vietnam, about the lessons they learned. I was not boots on the ground, but I have a solemn duty to support my brothers in their survival. This is my life for the rest of my life. If you've been to Nassau County and seen the veterans' memorials, all of them have wonderful monuments and statues and everything else. But the one that is most impressive and carries the greatest meaning to me is the clasped hands with the dog tags wrapped around them, which is the Vietnam Monument. And the inscription on that monument really says it all. All they had was each other. And this holds true even to this day. And this is why the Vietnam and Vietnam-era vets will not let anybody come home without a proper welcome and proper care. Thank you. Thank you, and thank you for your service. Uh, comments from uh, anyone else? We see uh, some hands going up. Also, for our viewers on uh, Facebook Live, if you have questions or comments, please uh, type them out. We're keeping track in the back, and we will read your questions or comments here in the room. Please. Thank you. Uh, my name is uh, John Devine. I served with the... Uh, Marines, 1st Marine Division, 1st Reconnaissance Battalion. And uh, some of the things that make me angry today, 50 years after the fact, is the difference in benefits that Vietnam veterans are not entitled to. Um, maybe I'm jealous. I lost my entire right leg in Vietnam. And I want to thank the nursing corps over there. You guys were great with the medical people. And um, during my... Uh, Saving life surgery. I got 37 pints of blood, and it's a miracle I'm here. A great life ever since then. But um, an Iraqi vet or an Afghanistan vet, if they lose their limb in combat or even home on leave while they're in the service, they get up to $100,000 for uh, their dismemberment. And they put that rule into effect in the early 2000s and grandfathered so all the veterans could get it. I think it's a good idea. Why do they stop there? Why don't they go back to the people that are injured in training accidents? Military is a very dangerous business. And Vietnam vets, Korean vets, World War II vets. There's also another thing about, I'm not an expert on benefits. I'm just an 
18-year-old kid that graduated from high school and joined the Marine Corps. But there's a health care benefit that spouses get, Iraqi veteran spouses get, that nobody else gets. And uh, the GI Bill is much, much better today than it was in our day. I went to college, St. John's University, right here in Queens. And um, all the guys I went to school with there were cab drivers, bartenders, scratching to make it to pay their school. So that's what makes me angry now. Um, I just got to tell one other thing about my discharge from the Manhattan VA right here on 24th Street. I'm an Irish Catholic, and I live in Brooklyn. And I had my wheelchair, my crutches, and any other thing I had getting out of that hospital, and I couldn't get a cab. And the guy says to me, where are you going? I go, Brooklyn. He goes, I'm going to Brooklyn. Like that. And like the guy in the video, I wanted to jump on top of that cab and kill this guy. I said, I'm a goddamn vet. You know, and he says, right there in front of 20 foot. Fortunately, it didn't take too many other cabs to pass by, and I finally got hooked up on one, and I got home. But there's pain all around for everybody. Except for mine. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, I think this film is going to heal things. I think it's going to heal things, which is obviously what we need to do. Um, one of the soldiers that we were sitting with was a man named Chuck Hagel, who went on to become the Secretary of Defense. Um, the young Navy man was um, Lieutenant John Kerry, and the guy who was a prisoner was John McCain. And um, we, we sort of felt that at that moment, the film stopped being... Uh, ours and started being all of yours. And so, once again, welcome home. How can we help? The Vietnam War debuts Sunday evening on PBS. Set your DVRs to record. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 